From the Nevada Independent, this is On the Trail. I'm Jacob Solis. This week, Nevada is finally the next early primary state on the calendar, with the election set for February 6th. Two days later, Republicans will have their separate party-run caucus. So why does it feel like visits in the coming days from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Donald Trump are all about November instead? My colleagues Gabby Birenbaum and Eric Nugaborn join me to break it all down. Gabby, Eric, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, glad you're here because first things first, there's been uh, a lot of news since we last podcasted. So I want to start there. And first, I suppose we have to acknowledge that New Hampshire did have a rogue Democratic primary and a real Republican primary on Tuesday. Uh, The results of those primaries were more or less as we expected. Let's start with the Republicans. Trump won, but by less than expected over South Carolina, ex-South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Biden, as a write-in, won the fake Democratic primary after a dispute with New Hampshire over actually being first in the nation. So, okay, all that legwork out of the way. Gabby, what do we take away from that? I think we sort of take away what the Republican National Committee seems to be taking away, which is that Trump's going to win. He's the nominee. Like you said, Haley, I think, had a solid showing in New Hampshire, but her path to victory was very contingent on doing well in New Hampshire. And so now she's going to have to go into several other states which don't have an electorate that features as many moderates, that don't have uh, elections where independents or nonpartisans can vote. Um, And she's going to have to continue to justify her reason for being there. Um, And one state she doesn't want to do that in is Nevada. Um, Because she's not running in the caucus, because her campaign has put no energy or effort into Nevada, when she lays out her state of the race of how she plans to stay in, Nevada is not even mentioned. Um, If you look at coverage on cable news, you're not going to hear anything about Nevada when it comes to the Republican race. So it's a bit of Nikki Haley against the clock and how long she can stay in, but she doesn't seem to consider Nevada part of that strategy at all. Yeah, it's been a a sort of notable exclusion. So notable, I mean, Donald Trump in his New Hampshire victory speech was like, hey, actually, Nevada is next. Is that at all related to the fact that Donald Trump will win Nevada? Draw your own conclusions. (laughs) So I guess something I'm curious about, though, and maybe Eric, you can speak to this, is is there any sense of whether or not the candidates who are going to come to Nevada in the next couple of weeks, and they are coming, are they even going to talk about the primaries? I mean, like, what is the discussion at this point in this very strange process we're in? Yeah, I mean, I think the clear messaging from Democrats, I mean, you mentioned earlier that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are going to be here. Um, just before the primaries, um, is that they're they're already looking at November. Um, the Biden said himself this week after the New Hampshire primary that the it's clear that Trump is going to be the nominee, um, and he's been alluding to that this whole time as Trump has led in the polls. But it was a pretty telling remark that he is considering Donald Trump to be his opponent in November, and. I think all the action we're seeing in Nevada all of a sudden ahead of the primary is because they want to do that outreach in Nevada, even if it doesn't matter in the primary elections, because Biden is going to win here. Nevada is going to be a state that matters in November. So the Biden campaign appears to be doing the legwork to get out, to be seen in Nevada and and put in the necessary kind of hours with voters. Um, even if the most important election in Nevada isn't for another 10 months. 
some degree of from the campaign perspective, at least making sure that voters know that like, yeah, Joe Biden is actually running for president and you got to go vote for him, which I think might not have been clear to we'll, we'll call him a lot of normies right up to this point who heard Joe Biden, Donald Trump. It's not 2020 anymore. Surely they're not running for president when obviously, right, it's a rematch. So, well, actually, here, here's something I want to ask. And this is a question for you, Gabby, is, you know, you've looked at some of the historic uh, uh, presidential races, at least in the last couple of cycles here in Nevada, and the way that they've interacted with the rest of the ballot. And I guess my curiosity, is there a sense of the way of just how strange it is that the cycle or that the primary cycle rather is wrapping this early into the calendar? Has this have we really seen this before, at least in Nevada? It's definitely weird. I think if you think back to 2020, um, people were talking on Twitter this week about uh, Charles Milton's Oscar campaign. He didn't get an Oscar nomination and how him getting a nomination at a smaller award show felt like Bernie winning Nevada um, in the sense that that race was far from decided by the time it got to Nevada in 2020. Bernie won. It felt like it was between Bernie, Biden. Uh, it was kind of anyone's race going going forward. And, you know, now Nevada hasn't even come up yet on the calendar, but it's pretty much already wrapped up. Um, and so it's definitely unusual, I think, to pivot to the general election this early. It's, it means it's going to be an even longer general election. So if you're the kind of person who gets annoyed by seeing political ads, um, that sucks for you because you're going to be seeing them for a longer time than you're used to probably from those two candidates. I think the advantage for Nevada is that since we got so ignored in the primaries, if the general is essentially starting in late January, Nevada does matter in the general as a battleground. And I think that's why you're seeing some of that attention. Um, from the Biden campaign and from the Trump campaign coming up. Well, I guess to that point, here's a question for you, Eric. I mean, so we know Trump's going to win the caucus. We know Biden's going to win the primary. And, you know, maybe Nikki Haley wins the Republican primary. Maybe none of the above wins. But I guess even in any of those contexts, what's the sense that we have that anyone winning a meaningless contest in Nevada, like that that actually matters. I guess if you're going to make the hashtag we matter case, and certainly our boss, John Ralston, will want to hear this. What's the case then for actually winning any of these contests? Yeah, I mean, it will be really interesting to see what Nikki Haley's approach is if she does win the primary. Um, the The word Nevada does not come out of Nikki Haley's mouth often. Um, I think I checked a few. Unless it's Unless it's Nevada, Nevada Iowa, yeah. where she campaigned, yeah. as, as we talked about That's last right. week. She yeah. loves Nevada, yeah. Iowa. Yeah. I, a couple of weeks ago, I just looked up uh, tweets from Nikki Haley's account that mentioned the word Nevada. And like Gabby mentioned, almost all of the mentions were related to Nevada, Iowa. And I think there was one mention of the state of Nevada in any of her tweets in the last year. So it will be interesting to see how her campaign, if it does anything, um, kind of frames a primary victory. But on media channels, I think it will be emphasized highly that it doesn't matter. Um, and her winning the Nevada primary does not mean that she defeated Donald Trump because two days later, Donald Trump will win the Nevada caucus. Look, like Gabby said, right, in, in 2016, Nevada was one of those early caucus states that did end up shaping the beginning of that race. In 2020, especially, like you mentioned, right, Bernie Sanders wins Nevada, and that is a momentum swing. Uh, that sort of leads to this panic moment where Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar both drop out ahead of Super Tuesday and clear a lane for Joe Biden, and he becomes the nominee from there. A sort of without Joe Biden winning South Carolina and then Bernie Sanders winning Nevada, sort of bang, bang in, in 2020, does the rest of that election play out the same way? And I think that's a genuine question. In 2020, and here's a question for you, Gabby, is there a sense of the strategy 
of like how this happened? Can we start pulling this apart strategically for all the campaigns? And most of them are now dead and gone. What was the point of ignoring Nevada in the first place if it was so important in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think that was something that flummoxed a lot of the political consultants here who were thinking, why not just take a flyer on Nevada if you think it's all about trying to get a shot at Trump wherever you can get it? Why not go somewhere that no one is essentially going? I think there were a few reasons for that. Um, Nevada's farther away. Most of these campaigns were based on the East Coast. Uh, it's travel that they didn't want to do. Vegas is a very expensive media market. Um, I think, you know, your dollar can go a lot farther in Des Moines or in Charleston or in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, and I think for all intents and purposes, people knew that by the time you got to Nevada, you were going to have to have done really, really well in Iowa and New Hampshire to be able to make a compelling case. And then I think once the state party said they were doing a caucus, once there were reports coming out um, about how they'd you know, been coordinating with the Trump campaign about the type of contest they were interested in, you have the chairman, Michael McDonald, you know, encouraging people to go caucus for Trump. Um, I think people just looked at the situation. And like we talked about last week, they didn't allow super PACs in. That was really damaging to Ron DeSantis, who just got out of the race. Um, I think people looked at Nevada as early as this summer and thought, that's, that's not really a place that's worth my dollars um, and my sort of limited resources. With that said, there are several candidates on the ballot, not named Biden, not named Trump, that are still technically running. And for the Democrats, right, that's Marianne Williamson. I think she's probably the most prominent Democrat still left. Uh, and on the Republicans, Trump actually isn't the only name on the caucus ballot, even though you had to pay $55,000 to get on it in the first place. Ryan Binkley, a Texas pastor and banking CEO, is also there. So, uh, Eric, do we have a sense of what percentage these people are even going to get in the primary and in the caucus? Yeah, I mean, Mary Williams, he got 4% in New Hampshire, and that was with Joe Biden not even being a, an option on the ballot. It, if you wanted to vote for Joe Biden, you had to write it in. Um, and uh, Ryan Binkley, I mean, I don't think people really know who he is. If he's not, if you're not part of the, the political ecosystem and political class, I think even if you are part even of the political are, class, I didn't know who he was until I read Jacob's story the other day. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. So, so yeah, I mm -hmm. mean, especially when when you're putting like Ryan Ryan Binkley against uh, just really established candidates, I don't see any way that he can pull any sort of weight. Um, but but Jacob, I'm as the de facto Nevada Independent Ryan Binkley reporter. I'm wondering you may have even more insight into him. Yeah, I mean, I I think the thing is, it's it's what is the race he's running in? So I actually spoke to him this week. Like Gabby mentioned, you can read the story on the NevadaIndependent.com. And uh, look, his message was one of unity. I think he lamented the fact that there hasn't been a Republican unity candidate since Reagan, that, you know, what is Trump doing but dividing the country? I think obviously he's a pastor. So a lot of his message sort of relies on this Christian framing of like, a, you know, a house divided cannot stand. He's evoking Lincoln and Jesus at the same time. Now, all that said, I don't think that the Republican electorate generally, that's the message they want to hear. And I don't think that the Nevada caucus electorate specifically is an electorate that's going to respond to that because this isn't the primary. You can't just go caucus. You got to find time on a Thursday evening. You got to go in person. You can't do it remotely. You got to find the caucus location. And then you got to, in some cases, stand around and, you know, for a whole meeting to, to do the thing. Though I believe you can't actually just drop off a ballot and leave. So that's an option if there's any real big Binkley heads out there. The thing is, it's like, okay, who's going to go do that 
if they know that Trump is the only quote unquote real candidate in the race, it's a lot of people who just want to go vote for Donald Trump. It's a lot of party diehards. And a lot of those party diehards are already pro Donald Trump. And so I, I'm not quite sure in, you know, in what world Binkley actually has an electorate that wants to vote for him. That said, he's going to visit Nevada next week. Maybe that'll materialize. Uh, who can say? But it's really tough to imagine a world where Donald Trump, I, I think there was a joke last year, right, where Ron DeSantis said that he won parts of Florida by Saddam Hussein margins. Donald Trump will actually win the Nevada primary by Saddam Hussein margins. I wanted to ask you, Jacob, also as the resident Nevadan in Las Vegas, does, how did Marianne Williamson do in 2020? Like, I'm wondering if her kind of like woo-woo stuff has any play in Nevada more than it would in like a New Hampshire. Yeah. And I think, you know what, 2020 and post-2020 is really the time at which I think these like uh, sort of far-flung, not third, third-party-esque bids uh, from these candidates started to founder a little bit. So in 2016, I think in Nevada, there was a lot more attention for your uh, your Jill Steins and your your Gary Johnsons. Um, you know, they were sort of beating none of the above. By the time we get to 2020, I think there was a lot less interest, at least from Democrats in Nevada and people who weren't the front runners. People were excited about Bernie and Warren and Biden and to some extent Pete and Amy Klobuchar. Now, Marianne Williamson, in that mix, in that milieu of essentially one million Democrats all trying to be president in 2020, I think didn't succeed. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I, I, I don't remember it being very large margins. In 2020, she could benefit from the fact that Dean Phillips isn't running in Nevada. He launched his campaign after our campaign fi uh, filing deadline closed. So he got something like 22% of the ballot in New Hampshire or something like that. Uh, without the sort of Dean Phillips bar, Marianne might actually get, you know, a significant portion of the ballot of disaffected Democrats. Say like you're a young Democrat who's annoyed at Biden over, say, Israel, right? You can't write in ceasefire like people might have done in New Hampshire, although I don't think many people did there. If you want to express displeasure with the party, voting for Marianne Williamson is an opportunity to do that, do that in Nevada. That said, the other option, you could just vote none of the above. And I think if those are the two options for someone who's mad at Biden, do they go to Marianne Williamson? Probably not. Well, I guess I'm still the host, so I have to keep going. So I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> but actually, I think we're going to close the discussion there because right now I want to get to the lightning round. So people who read our new Indie Elections newsletter, which you should subscribe to on the NevadaIndependent.com. But this is where we stick some of the uh, quick bites, right? Just stories we can't get out of our head. And so, Gabby, I want to start with you. What's in your lightning round this yeah, week? Yeah, if you were on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it yesterday, and you saw um, the Barbie discourse. So to back up, if you saw Barbie, liked it, enjoyed it, and are not deep in the Oscar uh, nomination politics, congrats. You're like missing out on a really toxic scene. Um, but basically what happened was Margot Robbie did not get nominated for Best Actress for playing Barbie. Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated for Best Director. They both did each get nominations for other things. There was a lot of discourse back and forth about did they deserve it? Is this feminist, anti-feminist? You know, a lot of words getting thrown around. And, you know, when no one invites her, no one loves to show up into discourse more than Hillary Clinton, I really believe. Um, <laughs> so she came in, yes, you know, and said... Greta and Margot, I'm sorry. Sometimes it sucks to win at the box office, but not get the recognition, which I think was a reference to her winning the popular vote, but not the election in 2016, um, said they were both Ken F for her, to quote the movie, and then said, hashtag Hillary Barbie. 
Um, so now people are taking that and running, making hashtag Hillary X for all of their favorite Oscar movies. Um, it's been, a, a, I think the discourse got so ridiculous when Hillary entered it that it's now turned around and become fun again. Um, so shout out, shout out Hillary Clinton's, you know, the hero we didn't ask for um, coming in to write the discourse once again. Yeah, but maybe the hero we deserve. On maybe this the one. hero we deserve uh, on this trans- one. It was yeah. the discourse was really absurd for a movie that got eight nominations. Um, it wasn't like Look. it got blanked like May December, my favorite, which only got one nomination. That's what Hillary should have stood up for, in my opinion. Yeah, no, honestly, the, really May December did get <laughs> snubbed, but it's fine. I'm in an anatomy of the fall head right now, so it's I'm I'm. I still need to watch. It's it. also um, it's been interesting to see the just the public at large get into the Oscar nomination discourse because there are snubs every year. Um, but this year it just so happened that some of the so-called big snubs are the, is part of one of the biggest grossing movies of all time. Um, so everyone has been into this discussion that, that, that happens every year, but now it's, it's attracted the likes of Hillary Clinton. I think fans of like Barbie, fans of May, December and fans of like the Iron Claw, like that's the Biden coalition pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I'll talk about another slub, the Iron uh, iron Claw. But anyways, uh, we'll, we'll keep moving. Eric, what is in your lightning round? Yeah, I mean, I can't really stop thinking about this Las Vegas Review Journal story um, that talked about how five Clark County commissioners accepted F1 tickets that are worth nearly $11,000. Um, and but what, what really caught my eye was just the, the rationale for um, some of these commissioners accepting these tickets. Um, a couple of them said that they were provided by F1 for educational reasons. Um, and I didn't go to F1. I know you did, Jacob, and you probably have more things to share on this, but I don't view a, a it as necessarily the most educational event, um, considering it's a race. Um, but it, it, was, it was interesting to see kind of the relationship between Clark County commissioners and this event that they they pushed for and how they're framing getting free tickets to the event. Oh, yeah. I think this will be a real fun one because I think the context here too, right? F1 had asked the county commission earlier last year for something like $40 million to help defray the costs of repaving parts of the Las Vegas Strip. And so the commission has been sort of deeply involved in the permitting and planning process of Formula One uh, with, again, tens of millions of dollars involved. And they didn't just get any tickets. Like I said, they got $11,000 tickets. It was to a portion of the track called the Skybox, which uh, they did these press tours before the race that I got to be a part of. And just just to set the scene, you're on top of the grandstand, floor-to-ceiling windows with a perfect view of the entire pit lane and turn one, which is an incredible part of the track. Uh, good racetrack, by the way, as a big F1 racing fan. Um, and so, like... Look, $11,000 is an insane price for anything, but there was a reason why like a regular ticket costs $2,000 and this ticket costs $10,000 or $11,000. Uh, nuts stuff. You're in like a restaurant. The entire thing has like a red carpet. They're like, it feels like old Vegas. And I don't know if that's true, but it feels extravagant if I were going to put a word on it. So yeah, educational. Sure. Uh, very much so. Do you guys think anybody's <laughs> going to the Super Bowl? Any of the elected officials? They are almost certainly all going. I to asked the Cortez Super Masto about the Super Bowl, and she was like, "Oh, I don't know." Well, Cortez Masto, who has lit the uh, uh, Al Davis Memorial right, torch at right. Allegiant Stadium before, she's so. you know Raider Nation faithful. So, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, just to close out, uh, I as the host get to have a lightning round item, and it's just Trump 
truthing on Truth Social. And uh, when he won the New Hampshire primary, he started on this uh, uh, stream of posts where he started talking about how he had already won Nevada, uh, which was just really mind-boggling for me because I was like trying to stay tuned in, like, oh, what happened? And I'm like, did I miss something? Did I miss the Nevada caucus already? And I had to sit down and say, no, that's absurd. Why would that have happened? So just a sweet dissociating moment trying to read Truth Social posts through Twitter slash X. Uh, too late on a Tuesday evening. So I guess this is just life now. Well, that will be it. And that does it for this week's episode of On the Trail. Our show is produced and edited by Joey Lovato with additional help from Michelle Rendells, Holly Bernstein-Sailor, and Kristen Leonard. From the Nevada Independent, I'm Jacob Solis, and we'll see you next week.